you for tuning in today, and uh, I want to thank the praise team. Uh, some of them have been here since early this morning, since we had the drive-in service, and we appreciate those of you who came and those of you who are tuning in again on the radio or on Facebook or on YouTube. I especially want to thank all of you for giving. Uh, you've done an outstanding job in continuing to give to the ministry of your church. And at the same time, those of you who aren't members of our church, who are members of another church, you ought to be giving to your church. This is a critical time in the life of your church, and I want to encourage you to be faithful to your church as well. Uh, we find ourselves living during a time of crisis. It's a crisis that in one way or another has impacted the entire world. And right now we are fortunate uh, for most of us, the vast majority of us really in the country, it's not been as bad as it might have been. However, if it's impacted you personally, then it's as bad as it could ever be. Now, there's no way to predict whether this virus will go away along with its impact on our economy or whether it will come back with a vengeance at some point in the future. It has been suggested by some of our leaders that we turn to God in this crisis, and it has been suggested by others that God is no help to us and that any progress we make against this virus will be based on actions we take ourselves. I think that most of us would agree that this uh, thing that's going on, this uh, COVID-19 crisis, has all the, uh, the immensity of, of, of something that is of biblical proportion. I'm sure that most of you have heard more than one preacher say this is the most apocalyptic thing that's ever happened in our lifetime. So there ought to be some questions that we're asking as we are still in the midst of this crisis, as we go through it, as we come out of it, even as we look back on it. Is there a message from God for us? How should we be responding to him? Should we expect help to come from God? Or are we should expect only the help that government or science can give? I think those are, are valid questions. And so in an effort to answer them, I want to call your attention to a, a time of crisis that arose in the Bible. Our president has said that we are at war against an invisible enemy. Not all enemies are invisible. There are visible enemies that come with frightening fury. And the biblical crisis that we're going to consider resulted from a visible enemy. It was a king and his army that came against Samaria, which was a city in the northern kingdom of Israel and uh, brought a crisis to them. His name, by the way, Ben-Hadad, means either son of the Most High, interesting name, is it not? Or it could also mean son of thunder, a reference to the gods of the nations from which he came. So that enemy to the people that were besieged by that enemy had a frightening name. Our invisible enemy, also has a frightening name. I don't know if you've given it much thought, the coronavirus. Corona means a mark of honor or emblem of majesty, such as a garland or a crown or a halo around a celestial body. This invisible enemy wears a crown, our invisible enemy, and that visible enemy in the Bible wore a crown and also came with a frightening name and frightening power. Without going into great detail, just allow me to read two verses of Scripture that outline the magnitude of the crisis faced by God's people. These come from 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 24 and 25. 
Now it came about after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, gathered his army and went up and besieged Samaria. There was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and a fourth of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. So as you observe this story in the Bible, you're going to see that it not only brought political chaos, it brought economic chaos. Uh, we have seen some few shortages of items at the grocery store, not so much because the items were short, but because people had a tendency to hoard them. Uh, some of you maybe have missed a payday. Uh, and this siege that happened in the Bible brought about a shortage in the food supply, and with their shortage came a time of great famine. The depth of need that existed and the desperation that prevailed is evidenced by what the people were eating. They were eating donkeys' heads and doves' dung. Now, the donkeys' heads they were eating were not the heads of living donkeys, but the heads of donkeys from corpses of donkeys that had died. And uh, they were willing to pay anything they could to receive food like that. They were giving 80 shekels of silver for a donkey's head, which was equivalent in today's money to $500, and they were willing to pay uh, for a fourth of a pint of dove's dung, $30. And so in that time, in that crisis, there was money, but money was worthless, and dung was precious. In times of crisis, people suffer. Common people suffer. Political leaders wring their hands and helpless confusion about what to do. And we've watched some of those daily discussions and deliberations as various leaders and experts in our land try to help us uh, move through this time of crisis. And thankfully, thus far, it's not been as bad as it might have been, yet we still don't know about the future. So as we look at this time in the Bible, uh, the first thing that we can say about it is, is that it was a time of desperation. And in that time of desperation, the king was pacing the wall, no doubt pondering the future of his own life and his kingdom. And as he paced the wall in desperation, a desperate woman also came, and she cried out to him for help as her king. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 26, we read, As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king! He said, if the Lord does not help you, from where shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press because there was no food to give. So here she was, this desperate woman crying out to this desperate king. The king was helpless. The situation was hopeless. And it seemed to that king that there was no help from the Lord. Uh, it seemed to him that the Lord was not helping. And if you had asked him whether or not God would help or could help, his answer would have been no. Likewise, we have people, leaders in the middle of this crisis, who see no help in God. They have waved God off as irrelevant and consider that our only hope in the middle of this crisis is our own ingenuity. But we might remind them that as the facts become clearer, the very reason that we are in this crisis is the result of our own ingenuity and our, our tinkering with viruses. So here we are, 
all part of this global crisis. Perhaps this crisis has brought you to a time of personal desperation. Not only this crisis, but the little other things that combine the lack of money, the, the, the inability to pay your bills, whatever it might be, brings you to a time of desperation, like this time of desperation that was in the Bible during this global crisis. The second thing that we notice is in this crisis is that desperate people tend to do desperate things. I've introduced you to this desperately helpless king and a desperate woman. The king had no answer for her. He could only answer her out of his own hopeless and helpless state. Yet in doing so, he failed to recognize how desperate she was. She was desperately hungry, and desperate people do desperate things. Perhaps in your present personal desperation, you're pondering doing something desperate, something that you wouldn't normally do. You seem to have no other solution. You don't know what else to do. So how desperate was this woman in the Bible? I'll let you hear her story. She brought another woman with her to talk to the king who was equally desperate. And so the king, in verse 28 of 2 Kings 6, the king said to her, What is the matter with you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat him, but she has hidden her son. That's pretty desperate, don't you think? Perhaps you're not so desperate as to kill and eat one of your own children, but there are those in this community in our country who are desperate and may even become more desperate before this crisis is over. And some of them, some of you, may be tempted to act out of desperation. How close are you to acting out of hopelessness and desperation? So here was this mother who had already acted out of desperation. Is it ever a good thing to act out of desperation? Or is it better to live dependent on God no matter how desperate the situation may seem? Well, not only was the woman desperate, but the head of her government was desperate. If you think that people in your government have all the answers for this crisis, you're wrong. This is not a time to depend on the government. This is not a time to look to the hills for help. This is a time to look to God. So we've considered this mother's desperation and the desperation of the king and what desperate people do. They do desperate things. Sometimes they act irrationally. Uh, and so instead of crying out to the God who could help, the king acted in his anger and his anger was directed against God. And that's the third observation I would make to you about this passage of Scripture is that desperate people tend to get angry with God. How many of you have blamed God for this crisis? Some of you have. And yet the very reason for the crisis and the, the magnitude of your personal crisis may be that you have ignored God over and over, year after year. You have abandoned Him and forsaken Him and now it seems to you that he has forsaken and abandoned you. Why should you be surprised? Verse 30 of 2 Kings 6. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. He was passing by on the wall. And when he tore his clothes, the people looked. And behold, he had sackcloth on beneath his robes, sackcloth on his body. Secretly, he was clothed in sackcloth. Outside, he wore his royal robes, giving the appearance 
that he had everything under control and that he knew what to do. But even though he had on sackcloth, instead of having a broken spirit toward God and a contrite heart for his own sins, this king was bitter toward God for this crisis. How about you? How are you handling it? I even wonder about our president. I wonder if our president has been talking to God. Maybe he said to God, maybe some of these thoughts have gone through his mind, God, this was to be my year. We had the greatest economy in the history of our country. Nobody thought I could do it, but look what I did. Now, God, you have ruined it with this virus. You have brought to us the worst economy in the history of our nation in a matter of weeks. God, now this will be my legacy. Why? He could be asking those kind of questions. And I know that in a, as, as the leader of our country, he may have a burden like that on his shoulders. But it's not just the president who might be having some of those conversations with God. Here you are about ready to retire. You've had some money invested in your 401k. And then all of a sudden, like a pin going into a balloon with this crisis, the bottom has fallen out. And you're asking questions about your future and you're asking God why. The king was angry with God. He was also with, angry with God's prophet Elisha, the preacher who ought to have prayed him out of this crisis by now. Instead of preaching judgment against us for our sins, Eli the king was saying Elisha should have been showing us how to gain favor with God and so, so that we would prosper. So this is what the king said in verse 31. Notice he's not only angry with God, he's angry with God's prophet. And he says, may God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. He was angry with God. That anger was directed toward God's prophet. And in verse 33, you can see the king's absolute despair. He said, behold, this evil is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? In other words, what good does it do me to depend on God to trust in God, to wait for God, if this is how he's going to treat me. When, when we, when you and I have waited on God, when our backs are against the wall and we have waited on God to the point of hopeless desperation, it's easy to throw up our hands in despair and do something desperate or to act in anger. Have you ever acted in anger against God, frustrated because of his timing or some delayed answer? Maybe you're there right now, hopeless and helpless, you're ready to just throw up your hands in despair and quit. Has there been a time in the past when you gave up on God and acted out of despair? Is that something that you're thinking about doing now? You see no help in God, no help from God, and so you're going to act on impulse. Is it ever a good thing to act out of desperation, or is it better to live dependent on God no matter how desperate the situation seems? Number four in this passage of scripture, and we move toward the end, desperate people should put their hope in God alone. Elisha said in chapter seven, the story moves to the next chapter. He said in chapter seven, verse one, listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow, tomorrow, about this time, a measure of fine flour, which by the way had been selling for a thousand shekels of silver, will be sold for one shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. The royal officer on whose hand the king was leaning answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? Then he said, Behold, you will see it with your own eyes, 
but you will not eat of it. Elisha was speaking for God and he was saying, I'm telling you what, God can turn this crisis around in a day's time. He can change it overnight and he's the only one. Now remember, things were so desperate, people were eating their own children. They were willing to pay $500 to eat a rotting donkey's head or $30 for a, a fourth of a pint of dove's dung. And here's Elisha talking about God turning it all around overnight. He promises by morning that there will be more than enough food for everybody and that the crisis will, in effect, be over. Now, every world leader has his own expert. We've seen that, whether it's the governor of Mississippi or the president of the United States or the, the head guy over in China. Everybody's got his own expert. And beside that king was a royal officer, an expert, who scoffed at Elisha's suggestion that God could help in this crisis, that God could provide a miraculous solution to it. In essence, Elisha was saying, if you will look to God and cry out to God, He can do more in a moment's time than you can accomplish with all of your experts and with all of your science and with all of your power. Now, it was impossible from a human perspective. How in the world could the situation so change within a day that tomorrow you could go out and buy an abundance of flour for just pennies instead of when there, when there had been none? What would happen to change that? And the expert, the king's servant said, if the Lord made windows in heaven, such a thing could not take place. Is that your own opinion about your own circumstances? Not just the world's circumstances, but your personal circumstance. Whatever crisis, your inability to pay your bills, uh, your, your personal need in your life, your personal crisis. Is it hopeless today and hopeless tomorrow? Is that what you feel? Is that how you, what you've been telling yourself about this crisis or some other crisis that you've been facing? It'll be hopeless today, it'll be hopeless tomorrow, and there'll be no help or no hope in God. That may be how you feel, but that's not what's true. Now, how much more hopeless could anybody have been than the people living inside the wall of Samaria, eating like scavengers and eating dung. But there were some people more helpless and hopeless than they. The saying is, you, you look around, you can always find somebody worse off than you, and you know that to be true, and it's true in this story. Because as we move through chapter 7, we see four leprous men. They were lepers. By the way, social distancing is practiced in the Bible. Lepers had to practice social distancing. We read of it. They had, a stand, they had to stand at a distance from people. They had to cry out unclean, and they had to cover their mouths. So this is not something new. We're actually looking at something that was practiced in the Bible that we were all, that we were all practicing, and these lepers had to live isolated from their families. They couldn't live inside the wall where everybody else was living. They were living outside the wall. They weren't eating donkey's heads and dove dung. They were eating the garbage that people were throwing over the wall. They were absolutely desperate. And so they were desperate to the point of death, and they said, well, look, we, we've got to make some kind of decision. Things aren't going to get any better for us. And so they decided to go over to the enemy camp. We'll just walk up to the enemy camp. You've heard of people committing suicide by cop. They were going to commit suicide by soldier. They said, what, what, how can it hurt if they shoot us? We're going to die anyway. 
And so they headed in that direction. And verse 5 of chapter uh, 7 of 2 Kings, They arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans or the camp of the enemy. They came there. Behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the army of the, of the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses and a sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come to us, to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp just as it was, and fled for their life. What had terrified this great army that had besieged Samaria to the point of great famine where people were in such a terrible situation? Well, in the Bible we read in that same chapter a little earlier uh, when Elisha saw that vast army and his servant saw it, his servant was terrified and Elisha prayed for his servant. He said, Lord, I just want you to open his eyes so that he can see and the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In other words, God's people had a hedge of protection around them. God was there even when it didn't look like he was working, even when it didn't feel like he was working. He was working. God was at work. And God's at work in the middle of this crisis. And God's at work in your personal crisis. And we need to pay attention to what God is doing. And so those lepers came to the outskirts of the camp. The Bible tells us in verses 8 through 10, they found uh, all the food still there, everything. And, and they just began to, to consume the food and, and, and to eat it. And uh, while they were eating, they, they remembered the people in the city were starving. And they said, look, we, we can't sit here like this. If we stay here and we just consume this ourselves, the people in the city are going to die. So uh, they went back and, 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 and told the message, uh, got the message to the king. And the king said, this has got to be a trap. If you look at verses 11 through 15, he said, this has got to be a trick. This has got to be a trap. The enemy's setting a trap for us. We're all going to run out there to get their food and we're going to die. But no, that's exactly what happened. God had routed the enemy. It was a miracle. And when they went out there, they found enough food for everybody, just as the prophet had said. So we begin to read in verse 16 of chapter 7. So the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. Then a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king appointed the royal officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled on him at the gate, and he died just as the man of God had said who spoke when the king, uh, had, had, when the king uh, came down to him. Just as the man of God had said. God turned this thing around even when the experts said, even if God opened the windows of heaven... It couldn't happen. It was a time of desperation. Not like the one we're in because the one we're in is not nearly as bad. But in times of desperation, desperate people tend to do desperate things. Sometimes they get angry with God. So I ask you again, is it ever a good thing to act out of desperation? Or is it better to live dependent on God no matter how bad the desperation seems? What about that desperate woman who boiled her son and ate it one day before God's deliverance. How did she feel the next day? How urgent is the matter that presses you to act in your desperation? In your hopelessness, have you also given up on God? Are you bitter toward God for some perceived delay in His activity? 
Will you miss God's abundant deliverance because of your failure to wait in faith? Now, I don't suggest that you dismiss the science of this crisis, but I do suggest that the best place to put your hope is in God. And to our political leaders, I would say, if you will look to God and cry out to God, He will do more in a moment's time than you can accomplish with all of your experts and with all of your science and with all of your power. Our hope, our help comes from God. And we need to be looking to Him. I hope that you will look to Him in the days ahead, not only in the midst of this personal crisis, but as we get beyond it. And I hope that you will be asking the question, what is God saying to me personally? What steps do I need to be taking? What adjustments do I need to be making in my life? And I would encourage you, if you've never put your faith and your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would encourage you to do that today. Because if it's not this crisis, if it's not this sickness that gets you or gets me, Something is coming, and one day it will, and you need to be ready.